Can we turn first of all please to Matthew and chapter 10. Matthew 10 and verse 1. And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. The first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the publican, James the son of Alphaeus and Labaeus, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Now please, Galatians chapter 2. But of these who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. God accepteth no man's person. For they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. But contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles and when James, Cephas and John who seemed to be pillars perceived the grace that was given unto me they gave me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision only they would that we should remember the poor the same which I also was forward to do and the Lord will bless the reading of his word I would like this evening to think something of the apostles first of all we understand there is one apostle unique in his Person and his, in his ministry, in his position. It is the Lord Jesus, the Apostle and High Priest of our profession. He's unique. The one that was sent forth from God. We know that the word Apostle simply means to be sent forth. Then we've seen in Matthew chapter 10, there were the 12 Apostles. And then we would see how that the that Paul himself was also an apostle called of God now there is much false teaching about apostles and there are cults which claim to have apostles today they are false apostles and in, in the time we have this evening I would like to consider the apostles 
they have four distinctive features first of all we we will be thinking of the apostles doctrine secondly the apostles authority thirdly the apostles power and finally the apostles signs their doctrine their authority their power and their signs we have thought last night of the importance of the apostles doctrine of the importance of gathering according to the teaching of the apostles and we frequently would refer uh, to Acts chapter 2 and 42 referring to the apostles doctrine now God committed to the apostles certain unique exclusive truths which were to be for his, uh, his people our faith is based upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and so we would like to have a little look at what we would term uh, the, the apostles doctrine now when I mention apostles who taught doctrine we would think of Peter we would think of John and we would think of Paul now first of all what did Peter distinctively teach in, uh, in his epistles he taught amongst other things the priesthood of all believers and we you are familiar with that uh, with chapter 2 where he points out that we are a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices and we are a royal priesthood declaring the virtues of him that has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light now we, uh, we understand of course and this was something completely new a completely new revelation in the Old Testament uh, the, uh, the Aaronic priesthood the priesthood uh, according to the law was restricted to one tribe and those that trespassed uh, were chastened uh, we think of King Josiah who uh, sought to offer incense in the temple um, and was a leper to the day of his death now Uzziah sorry King Uzziah now we understand what this means the priesthood of all believers as uh, I mentioned I was saved in the Roman Catholic Church and the, the priesthood of the Roman Catholic Church bears no resemblance uh, to the New Testament priesthood of all believers and what a privilege it is now first of all let's think of our, of our holy priesthood when we gather to remember the Lord Jesus on a Lord's Day morning we would speak of him now you know I, I think when we uh, gather we're not there of course to remember our needs even our blessings we're not there to thank God for the good things which he has given us we are there to remember his son you remember when um, Joseph finally revealed himself to his brethren in Egypt he sent them back to his father 
that they should tell Jacob of all his glory he had in Egypt and isn't that what we do when we gather to remember the Lord Jesus we would speak to God of all the glory of the glory of the Son we would seek to speak well of him and this would warm the Father's heart as gathered saints remember him and speak of him uh, so you know when we gather to break bread we need to be exercised we may we need to be prepared we need to bring these uh, this fragrance of worship as we speak to God of his son that is our holy priesthood now of course the sisters are silent but their worship their silent prayers ascends as a perfume a sweet savour to God uh, along with the brethren now we are also a royal priesthood and this is in our testimony to tell forth the virtues of the Lord Jesus he that has called us out of darkness into his marvellous light and so the believer has this privilege which was unknown under the law of both serving God in worship exercising a holy priesthood and proclaiming the, the person of Christ as he exercises his royal priesthood that's one of, one of the things with, which the apostle Peter taught us if we think of Paul of course there, there is a, a, a range of truths which come out in Paul's teaching the, the presence of the Holy Spirit know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit this is something which Paul reveals to us by the Holy Spirit uh, he teaches assembly order and we thought last night of uh, the truth of God's assembly gathered to the Lord's name and the truths which the Apostle Paul gives us concerning church order he, the Apostle Paul also tells us something of the rapture now the prophets would speak of the coming but they wouldn't go into the details of the rapture do you know there's a very interesting illustration uh, in uh, contemporary history in relation to Morocco and this would illustrate something of the rapture now Morocco was a French protectorate and there was a sultan called Mohammed and he was exiled and uh, eventually his followers began to resist the French presence and uh, to the point that finally the French were no longer able to hold Morocco uh, under their control and so they agreed to give Morocco independence now the followers of the Sultan uh, Muhammad, he was in exile, they left Morocco and they went to fetch him. And they went to Paris and they came back with the king, because he was now the king. And they came back and he established his reign in Morocco. And that's a, a little illustration of how that we today seek to uh, preach the gospel whilst our Lord is absent but the day will come when we shall go to be with him 
And of course, as those men, uh, those uh, disciples of Muhammad came back with the king, so we shall come back with him when he has set up his reign upon the earth. And the rapture of the church is something which the Apostle Paul reveals to us. And if we were to think of the uh, Apostle John, then we, our minds would go to the book of Revelation. And John would tell us specifically of the millennial reign of Christ, amongst other things. Uh, because the hope of Israel was the reign of the Lord Jesus. Uh, but uh, John tells us that it would last for 1,000 years upon the earth. I may have mentioned concerning what is termed the Lord's Prayer and uh, you will understand that this is not a prayer for the church now I, I'm well aware there are evangelicals and when they get together and uh, at the end of their meeting or whatever it is uh, they, they will all recite the Lord's Prayer but of course that is not for us uh, there are things in that prayer which we do not pray for instance and in respect to the, the coming kingdom we do not pray thy kingdom come because we shall go to be with them. The kingdom, the kingdom of God uh, is in the hearts of the believers. And we are not looking for a coming kingdom. Now, uh, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, can you imagine what it would be like uh, for those saints during the tribulation? They would be longing for the Messiah to come to establish his reign. They would be longing uh, to see uh, the, the king upon his throne. And they would pray from the depths of their hearts, Thy kingdom come. I might say in passing there's another expression in that prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Now uh, we understand today uh, that the individual he labours for his bread. And the Apostle says, if a man will not work, then let him not eat. And, uh, but you see, put yourself again in the tribulation. Because what is termed the Lord's Prayer is a tribulation prayer. And there, those who refuse the mark of the beast, they will neither be able to sell nor to buy. How are they going to eat? And it has been suggested that God will intervene, will provide for them. And that prayer, give us this day our daily bread, will take up a very, very, very real meaning when, uh, when the, during that time of the great tribulation. Uh, so there are things which the apostles reveal to us. And uh, there is no new truth. One of the features of the cults, indeed, is they are constantly getting new light and new truth. But we have the Apostles' Doctrine, and if we have failings, it's because we don't know the Apostles' Doctrine. We're not studying it. We're not seeking uh, uh, to apply it both to our individual and our collective lives. So there, the first feature of... Um, first distinctive feature of the apostles is their doctrine but then we have the apostles authority now you remember how that the uh, the Lord Jesus said to Peter 
that he was Peter and upon this rock I'll build my church and he speaks of the keys of the kingdom now I, I know that some brethren will say well, yes Peter received the keys uh, and with one of them he opened the door uh, to the Jews in Acts chapter 2 and with another one he opened the door uh, to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10 now, I'm not quite sure that that is what the Lord is meaning you see when you look at the word key or keys in the scriptures when the word is in the singular and that's six times the word means to open and to shut alright so when you see the word key in the bible it is referring to opening or shutting a door and only twice is it used in the plural and when it is used in the plural it's not talking about opening and closing it's talking about authority and the apostles received divine authority to preach the gospel and they received that uh, you might say on the mountain in Matthew 28 when the Lord Jesus uh, gave them the great commission to go and to preach the gospel to all nations uh, so we, we see the apostles authority uh, they, uh, they were consulted uh, but they did not debate you know in our day and age much is made of debating and we, we're told not to be uh, affirmative and not to be uh, absolutely unyielding but you see there are certain things which we cannot yield on and we cannot yield on divine authority on the doctrine of the apostles and we would understand that the apostles received authority from God in their particular ministry the third thing was the apostolic power apostolic power something unique and how was the power of the, uh, the apostles uh, displayed by the laying on of hands now we, we understand we see that in Acts chapter 6 we understand that when the apostles laid their hands upon certain individuals they received miraculous gifts now we'll think something of those of the gifts uh, of the risen head to the church there are of course as you know two sorts of gifts there are gifts for the edification of the church and there are sign gifts miraculous gifts now at the turn of the 20th century I think about 1906 certain individuals in California claimed uh, that there were still miraculous gifts today there are in the world we are told something like 500 million Pentecostals charismatics and related movements and the very basis of their activity is this that miraculous gifts have not ceased and if we say that they have ceased then we are going against the grain of scripture but you see miraculous gifts did cease 
and we would need to determine the meaning of these miracles which we'll see uh, in a minute now so we have uh, the miraculous gifts which were given by the apostles so we see that uh, some could cast out spirits and could heal but these gifts were not transmitted now uh, this is um, we, we find that when the apostles laid their hands on such as Philip he could not transmit what he'd received to somebody else and the testimony of those called the church fathers is that the miraculous gifts disappeared uh, certain uh, uh, well known names amongst them say there were still miracles and still tongues but in fact they were never ocular witnesses they never saw them and it would seem according to historians that the miraculous gifts disappeared with the death of the last person who received a miraculous gift by the laying of, ha of hands of the apostles so miraculous gifts have ceased I am well aware of the claims of this present day and we would see the destructive effects of that doctrine now some say well we believe in tongues we believe in miracles we believe in prophecies uh, and we practice them in our churches but as I say we have seen the destructive effects of this an illustration a very practical illustration three years ago somebody was saved near Perpignan after receiving a tract I had visited him and he professed to be saved and he was very bright uh, he travelled he lived away uh, he worked away from where he lived every morning, Monday he'd go off to work and come back on a Friday and uh, travelling he would speak to people he was sitting next to he was speaking to neighbours he was reading his bible something so new to him and he was really living in the joy of his salvation he was he constantly had questions and I would never see him without him saying well you know I, I've read this now tell me what does it mean and we could see the, the, uh, the joy of that babe in Christ but when he was away during the week he had a colleague who was a charismatic and his colleague he said well he said this is very nice he said you um, you say you're saved and that as a, as a good thing but uh, I can see you haven't got the Holy Spirit well this young Christian had, didn't know too much about those sort of things and so he uh, said well you know I, I don't really know what you're talking about so this charismatic said do you speak in tongues didn't know what that meant he said well so you see you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit well uh, he thought well this is probably something which uh, I haven't been told about yet so he said well what is it so uh, he went to this man's house and uh, they prayed and this man laid his hands upon him and this young Christian started speaking in tongues now please do not think that it's something created by uh, uh, a fertile imagination or it's uh, 
babbling uh, like, a, like a baby no it's a dangerous psychological phenomenon now this Christian he told me afterwards he said you know uh, all of a sudden I felt this glow coming down through me and I started saying things and I felt I was worshipping God and I felt so happy and I couldn't stop it it came pouring out of me now I don't know the origin of this it may be satanic it may be of the flesh that doesn't matter the very th- 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 this is the thing that what that man was doing was not the New Testament speaking of tongues uh, because when and we'll see this later on when the uh, in the New Testament they spoke in tongues they were languages which could be identified and translated this is not the case today in these charismatic circles when they practice what is termed glossolalia glossolalia simply means uh, speaking in a tongue now uh, it's sweeping the world, sweeping the evangelical world, it's invading assemblies and this is how it starts, uh, well you know brother we, we feel perhaps we shouldn't uh, limit the Holy Spirit and perhaps he can still give these uh, gifts today so who are we to forbid in speaking in tongues because they take that verse out of context but this is totally destructive I believe it is a, a doctrine of demons to divide the people of God and to destroy true gospel testimony and this person who professed to be saved gradually he lost his zeal for Christ he ceased to speak to his neighbours and others about the Lord Jesus and I saw him one day and I said well tell me where are you reading oh he said this week uh, I really haven't opened my Bible so you see this carnal this uh, superficial activity is destructive to clear gospel testimony uh, the miraculous gifts were given as signs as we will see in a minute signs confirming the working of God I believe in the Bible apart from creation and apart from the book of Revelation there were three miraculous periods not that they were the only period times when miracles took place the first was with the giving of the law and we have a what some have turned um, a zone of miracles with uh, Moses and Joshua we move on and we come to Elijah and Elisha and there are a number of miracles at that time and then of course we come to the New Testament with the Gospels and the book of Acts now why did God give these miracles let's go back to the book of Genesis when uh, God spoke to men in the book of Genesis he spoke directly to them he spoke to Adam he spoke to Noah he spoke to Abraham ten times he spoke to Jacob and he spoke to Joseph 
So God spoke directly to men. But then when we come to the book of Exodus, we find that God is going to communicate his mind in a different way. By his written word. But then, why should I believe a written word? Because God has never spoken like that. He always spoke directly to his people. Why should I believe uh, that he speaks now by the written word? And so to set a seal on the giving of the law, he gave signs, that's what the miracles are, he gave signs to say, now this is how I'm going to speak today, and that was the giving of the law accompanied by signs or miracles. We move on through the ages, and then we come to the prophets of course Elijah was not the first prophet there were others mentioned before him but he is the first of a line of prophets both oral and written but some would say well you know God over the centuries has now been speaking to us by the he's spoken to us by the law the written word he spoke verbally to uh, the patriarchs in Genesis he speaks to us by the written word why should he speak now in another way but then we have Elijah and Elisha and they prophetize God is now speaking through his prophets but why should we believe the prophets because they, their ministry was accompanied by signs by miracles and so Elijah and Elisha they uh, their miracles were accompanied by signs showing divine approval of what they were doing and so these miracles were signs and of course we come uh, to the gospels and the acts and again God is now speaking not through the uh, directly uh, to men neither through the written word neither through the prophets but God has spoken in his son so uh, these signs were given uh, to, uh, to set a seal on God's communications to men. Now uh, these miraculous gifts were not transmitted. They have ceased. Uh, and this would bring us on to the fourth point. We've seen something of the Apostles' Doctrine of apostolic authority of the apostolic power now we'll think something of apostolic signs the apostle Paul could say this uh, truly the signs of the apostle were wrought among you in all patience in signs and wonders and mighty deeds now in Galatians 2 two apostles are presented to us Peter and Paul two apostles who, to whom God had entrusted a specific ministry and if uh, so we see that uh, Peter his ministry was to the circumcision to Israel and Paul his ministry was to the nations now in the light of that we would expect that Peter and Paul would 
uh, manifest the same apostolic gifts now we'll, we'll see that as we go through the book of Acts how those two apostles we, we see a parallel path in their service and their ministry unique Peter to the to Israel Paul to the nations now first of all uh, they both healed a man that was lame from birth you remember how that Peter going up to the temple with John he sees this man lame from birth and uh, who expects something and he says silver and gold have I none but such as I have I give thee in the name of Jesus Christ stand up and walk and that man he leapt and he walked uh, he was healed so and of course this drew the animosity of the religious leaders so Peter healed a man that was lame from birth and it's remarkable that in Acts chapter 14 when the apostle Paul is at Lystra he does exactly the same thing here's a man lame from birth lame from his mother's womb and the apostle Paul heals him and it's remarkable that in the two cases both those lame men who were lame from birth who were healed they, they leapt and walked so here's the first thing both those apostles Peter and Paul healed a man lame from birth both Peter and Paul raised the dead first of all we would have uh, Peter he, uh, he goes into an upper room where there is a godly woman who's died Dorcas and Peter raises her from the dead in Acts chapter 9 then we think of the apostle Paul and you remember how he too was in an upper room uh, in Troas and there was Eutychus and he was sitting in the window somebody said well you know he was a worldly Christian he had one eye on the world and one eye listening to the apostle well I, I don't know about that he was sitting in a window on the, uh, on, in uh, an upper room and he fell out and he was taken up dead uh, Paul goes down and he raises Eutychus from the dead Peter and Paul raised uh, raise the dead something unique they were both miraculously delivered from prison at night remember in Acts chapter 12 uh, Peter he, he is taken out of prison and the surprise of that damsel when she, she sees him thinks it's something else and, uh, but he is delivered miraculously from prison at night we go on to Acts 16 and there's the Apostle Paul he's in prison and uh, there's the earthquake and the bonds are broken doors are opened and Paul is miraculously delivered from prison at night they both, Peter and Paul knew that deliverance in that miraculous way they both cast out demons we see that with Peter in Acts chapter 5 and then the, uh, in Acts chapter 16 you remember how Paul encounters that woman with a spirit of Python 
and he delivers her Peter and Paul cast out demons this would raise a question is there demon possession today now this is a uh, quite another subject and I would just like to briefly mention it in the gospels there are six described cases of demon possession which the Lord Jesus uh, of, the, uh, of people who were possessed which the Lord Jesus delivered only six cases we've seen this too been one, there's another one as well but we see Peter and Paul equally delivering uh, individual, individuals from demon possession now we hear all sorts of rather strange stories they're usually impossible to verify they're usually taking places in countries where we can never get to uh, there are indeed strange events we remember how that uh, the devil and his demons they are angels of light and they can do remarkable things but does the do demons possess people today now I'm well aware some will say yes uh, uh, I've heard of somebody who was out in Africa or he was somewhere and he will describe some very vivid event and, uh, and I, I have seen things in my travels I was once in Singapore and in Singapore uh, there there are Hindu processions and uh, those Hindus who want to be delivered from their sins young men would go to a Hindu temple and they would be put into a trance and their bodies would be pierced by steel stakes I've seen this and there's not one drop of blood and they will have a frame with these stakes going into them and uh, they'll have one through their cheek and at the other side not a drop of blood and they will walk from one temple to another uh, and to seek atonement for their sins and when they get to the second temple then uh, these uh, stakes and uh, spikes are removed from their body and they're brought out of a trance there was a brother in the assembly in Singapore uh, in his younger days he had done that before he got saved and he said that um, it was they were put into a very deep trance he said there was probably some uh, physical explanation but he said it took a week to get over the effects of that experience now it, we can't explain all these things but I would judge that if there was demon possession today then we would have had instruction clear instruction in the word of God as to how to deliver souls from demon possession we don't have it we don't have it. Satan is active and I, I suggest he doesn't need to possess bodies when I see in France possibly here in the United States I don't know but certainly in, in Europe the indifference the opposition to the gospel he doesn't need demon possession he doesn't need to scare people away from the gospel he lures them away with attractions and with temptations so I don't believe today there is such a thing as demon possession now you may not agree with me but uh, I, I feel that this was limited 
to the presence of the Son of God on earth in that uh, period both in the Gospels and then later in the, in the book of the Acts uh, because of the intense activity of Satan against the introduction of the gospel of the, of the grace of God into the world so they, they both Peter and Paul cast out demons then they both had a confrontation with magicians now these magicians were not men with, who would pull a, a white rabbit out of a top hat uh, the biblical magician in fact was a man who was an expert in occult matters a man who was instructed in evil satanic practices and we see how uh, Paul would in Samaria I'm sorry Peter would confront uh, Simon the magician uh, this man who uh, had thought to purchase the Holy Spirit with money and uh, Peter could say to him thy, men, uh, thy money perish with thee so Peter had a confrontation with this uh, magician this occult evil worker the apostle Paul <clears throat> when he commences his first journey he goes to Paphos and he too has a confrontation with a magician called Bar-Jesus or Elimas and you remember how that evil man would seek to have uh, drawn the proconsul away from the faith and there is that confrontation and Elimas, um, Elimas is threatened with blindness so both Paul and Peter both had this confrontation with these occult practitioners, these magicians. Then we would see that both Peter and Paul were involved in the gift of tongues. Now, only three times in the book of Acts you have the book of uh, the gift of uh, the practice of tongues. We have, of course, Acts chapter two, the day of Pentecost when there were 14 languages spoken uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit when the Spirit came down uh, on that blessed day the birthday of the church it was a sign this is, we understand this is a sign that God had given concerning the inception of the church the body of Christ only two apostles witnessed uh, tongues first you remember how that Peter he goes to Caesarea in Acts chapter 10 and there he preaches the gospel uh, to Cornelius and Cornelius speaks in tongues here was a sign that the gospel had gone to the nations then we see uh, in Acts chapter 19 the apostle Paul he encounters some disciples of John Baptist and uh, he asked them if they would received the Holy Spirit when they had or after or when they had believed and they said we know not there is a Holy Spirit that's the idea of it and uh, so P Peter speaks to them uh, Paul speaks to them and they speak in tongues it was, it was indicating at the end uh, that 
uh, no longer to follow John Baptist's teachings. So, uh, only two apostles witnessed the giving of tongues. Peter in Acts 10 and Paul in Acts 19. Tongues were given, as I say, as a sign. A sign to unbelievers. They were both led by a vision. You remember how that in Acts 10, Peter was praying and uh, he gets, uh, he, he is told to, he has this vision of these animals being let down in a sheet and uh, he hears the voice, kill and eat. And he says, he says, no, he, he won't do that. You'll notice frequently, Peter is the man who says no to the Lord. He didn't want. He didn't. He said the Lord should not die when uh, in, Act, in Matthew 16, uh, when the Lord Jesus wanted to uh, uh, wash his feet, he said no, Lord, and uh, he said I'll not deny thee. Uh, Peter was a man who was always saying no to the Lord, uh, but um, there he followed the leading of by a, he got through a vision to take the gospel to Cornelius, to Caesarea. Paul also was led by visions. He was led by a vision, which when he saw a man who said, come over to Macedonia. He was probably, he was in Troas, and he went over to the north of Greece. And we know the results of that uh, call where many were saved and assemblies formed so both Peter and Paul were led by visions and finally they both performed extraordinary miracles Peter we read that uh, as his shadow passed people were, were healed and extraordinary miracles and then we read how the apostle Paul uh, that some would simply lay their handkerchiefs and aprons upon him and they will get, get healing in that way something quite extraordinary so we see how that these two apostles Peter and Paul did uh, manifested the same div uh, divine gifts and signs uh, exactly the same uh, through the healing of a lame man born from birth both of them had mir miraculous deliverance from prison both of them cast out demons both of them confronted magicians both of them witnessed the giving of tongues both of them were led by a vision and both of them performed extraordinary miracles now this, these two men God used one to the people of Israel Peter never did any of these things outside of Judea and Samaria and all that we've read concerning Paul all that we've seen concerning Paul was always out into the nation, amongst the nations so we would see how God has given us a sure foundation indeed our faith is founded upon the apostles shall we pray our father we thank thee again for thy word and we thank thee that thou hast given us these